I want to thank Shelby and Gabe and Mickey and Dave and all the parking lot ministry, the greeters, our multimedia crew that's going to make me sound real good and look real good, and all those that are involved in making our church service what it is. Um, for those who don't know me, my name is Mark Kolbrenner. My wife, Lori, and I serve as greeters and life care leaders and have been coming to Resurrection Life Church a little over six years. As some of you know, Lori and I just took a trip. We went on vacation. We traveled out west and traveled through several of the state and national parks. And it was just an awesome trip, an amazing thing. Um, along the way, we got to see the true beauty of God's creation. We saw some of the most amazing sights, the stuff that he created. When it says in Genesis that God created the heavens and earth and then split the water from the land and planted all the vegetation and the crops, you can only imagine how beautiful it is. But when you travel throughout our country, you can see the true beauty of God's creation. What an awesome country you live in. And then he created the animals and the wildlife and the birds and the fish and just creatures all over the world that amaze me and look so awesome. And then God created man. He created human beings. He created all of us. This message today is one that's been on my heart for a while. God has really been pushing me to share this message about who am I. And so before I go any further, I'd like to pray. Father God, we thank you. We thank you for this day, the beautiful sunshine, the beautiful world that we live in, the blessings that you've given us, Father. We thank you that... You speak to us in so many different ways, through music, through prayer, through scripture, through the people that just greet you at the door or the people that lead you through the parking lot. Father, we thank you and ask that you make all the words that I speak today your words, that all the stuff I say is true to you and gives you grace and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So God created each and every one of us to be unique individuals. We're all different. We don't look the same, we don't think the same, we don't have the same talents, the same interests, the same skills. There's tall and there's short, there's big and there's small, there's male and there's female. There's carpenters, there's seamstress, there's all kinds of occupations and interests. But no matter what the differences are between us, we all have some big similarities. The way that God created us is one of our biggest commonalities. The way that God created us all it's a very common factor for us, but especially the fact that God gave his one and only son for every one of us. Every person that lives or has lived, God gave his son for. Casting Crowns has a song that really touches my heart. It's called, Who Am I? And the first few verses go, Who am I that the Lord of all the earth would care to know my name, would care to feel my hurt? Who am I that the bright morning star would choose to light the way for my ever-wandering heart. Who am I that the Lord of all the earth would care to know my name? Who are you that the Lord of all the earth would care to know your name? We are children of God. All of us, children of God. We are loved by God, and Jesus died for us all. Then the song goes on to say, it's not because of who I am, but because of what you've done. It's not because of what I've done, but because of who you are. Casting Crowns is telling us that God doesn't love us because of what we've done. 
He doesn't dislike us because of what we've done. He doesn't love us because of who we are. He loves us because he created us. It's not what we've done that separates us from God, according to Casting Crown song. It's what God has done. God loves us so much that he made us in his image. Genesis 1.26 says, Then God said, Let us create mankind in our image, in our likeness. It says our image, our likeness. We were created in the image of the Father, the image of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The, the triune was together when God was creating man. Genesis 1.27 says, So God created mankind in his own image. In his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. Doesn't that just touch your heart that we are created in the same image of God, of Jesus Christ? He made us to be just like the son that died for us. And it's great to know that God has a plan for us. Jeremiah 29, 11, which is pretty popular in this church because we have heard it so many times, but I'm going to repeat it several times. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. It's good plans. God does not have bad plans. To give you hope or a confident expectation of good and a future. So if we're created in the image of God, if we're created in the image of Jesus Christ, and God has a plan for us that's good, it's all planned for good, why don't we always act like, live like, or love like God? Why don't we always act like, or live like, or love like Jesus Christ? Why is it with all of this going for us, we sometimes do whatever we want? We have been given a freedom of choice. We have to choose how we're going to live, how we're going to love, and how we're going to act. God won't force it on us. God won't force us to do the right thing. Each and every one of us has our own reasons for the way we live, our own reasons for the way we act, our own reasons for the things we do or don't do, our own reasons for the things that we say or don't say. But behind all of our lives, there are two choices that we make. We either choose God or we choose the enemy. It comes down to two working together. It's either us and God or us and the enemy. It reminds me of playing basketball when I was a kid. And yes, I played basketball. On the playground, there was always two captains. And the two captains would shoot baskets until one missed. And whoever made the last shot got to choose his the pick the first teammate. And so all the players would line up and the captains would choose one after the other, alternating. Typically, they're going to choose the players that are going to best help their team. And they're going to go back and forth until all the players are chosen. Then it always comes down to that last choice. You know, that kid, that kid from down the street, the really tall, lanky, clumsy kid, makes a basket about every 30 or 40 shots. Yeah, that was me. But it was fun. On the playground, the captains were picking the players they wanted on their team so that they could win or had the best chance to win. In life, you are the team captain. You are picking your team. God and Jesus, or God and the enemy, God and the enemy have their own skill sets. 
They have their own methods, they have their own abilities, and they have their own expectations. Both players have a plan for your life. So which do you want to choose? What team do you want to play on? It's real easy to say, I'll choose God because I want to be a good Christian. But unfortunately, we don't always follow through with that. There's always times when we are choosing to be on the enemy's team and working in conjunction with them. And believe me, there's no winning on that team. That team does not get the victory in the end. If you're like me, you're not too thrilled when you choose the enemy. You're not too happy with yourself when you team up with them. But in spite of our God's greatness, his grace and his glory and his love for us, we still pick that team sometimes. And none of us are immune from the enemy's influences. He's that kid from the neighborhood yelling up and down, pick me, pick me, pick me. He's reaching out to grab you to get you to pick him on his team. In the journey of life along the way, we're all going to have different experiences. We're going to follow different paths. And we're going to make many of our own decisions, some good and some bad. This has been true of every human since Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit in the Garden of Eden. But because we serve a loving, forgiving, grace-giving God who can overcome all of our, we can overcome all of our indiscretions, we can choose to push the enemy away. We can overcome the enemy. And we can overcome him because Jesus overcame the world. Jesus made us overcomers. But we don't have to do it alone. In this world, we're all going to have troubles. But we need to overcome those troubles with the help of Jesus. Many people in the Bible were influenced by the enemy. They chose the team with Satan on it. Stories in the Bible, though, show us how people were blessed by God in spite of their poor decisions that they made. People who teamed up with the enemy came out on the good side in spite of it. Jeremiah, who wrote those words about God's plan for us, was called upon by God to warn the kingdom of Judah of its impending destruction. Judah was one of the 12 tribes of Israel that descended from Jacob's sons. And Judah was one of the good tribes. But who really was Judah? Who was the leader of this kingdom? Well, you might remember the story of Judah's youngest brother, Joseph. Jacob, who was Judah and Joseph's father, loved Joseph way more than he loved his other sons. He showed favor to Joseph. But he showed favor to Joseph because Joseph was born to Jacob and Rachel in their very old age. Jacob even gave Joseph a real fancy coat to wear to show how much he loved him. Well, one day Joseph has this dream and he tells it to his family. He says he was working out in the field and he saw the bales of hay or the, the hay bowing to him. And then the sun, the moon, and the stars bowed to him. Well, his brothers got mad because they thought that Joseph was thinking that they might bow to him also. And he was the youngest of us. He was no better than us. He was just loved by dad more. So his brothers got the idea that they should get rid of Joseph and gain back some of the favor of their father. Well, one day Joseph is out in the pasture with his brothers and they're tending the sheep and they find this opportunity to get rid of Joseph. The original thought was just kill him and, and get rid of him, throw him in a pit. But his brother Reuben said, don't kill him. 
just throw them in a dry well in a desert because Reuben was going to go back and try to save them. But then they saw the Ishmaelites coming along the path and Judah come up with the idea of selling them to the Ishmaelites as a slave. In Genesis 37, 26, it says, what will we gain if we kill our brother and hide his body? Let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not harm him. After all, he is our brother. Well, there was a huge ulterior motive to that. You see, Judah thought that Joseph would never survive slavery. First of all, the Ishmaelites would chain his legs together, chain his hands together, make him walk through the desert until they got to where they were going. And then once he got where they were going, he was going to be a hard-driven slave. And a lot of slaves in those days didn't fare well because they didn't get a lot of food, they didn't get enough water, and they worked extremely hard. So the rest of the story is Joseph survives slavery, becomes favored by Pharaoh because he interprets some dreams, takes over a whole bunch of Pharaoh's business, and the brothers come back to get some food because where they are, there's a famine. In the end, it ends really well because in spite of his treachery in trying to eliminate his brother, Judah is the one that forms a tribe of Israelites that becomes the most prosperous and one of the most richest tribes. Judah's power and riches, like everything in our lives, came from God. God blessed Judah in spite of him trying to kill his brother. It's such a great forgiving and loving God we have, isn't it? Just loves us to pieces. Then there's the story of a woman who was caught in the act of adultery. The religious leaders had, trialed, had had a trial and said she was to be stoned to death. That was the Jewish law at the time. And they took her out to the square and put her in the middle of the square so everybody could stand around with their stones ready to start throwing them at her. Before that, they sent the sentence on her, one of the leaders said to Jesus, what do you have to say about this? And what they were trying to do was trap Jesus into saying something that was against the law of Moses. Well, Jesus bends down into the sand and he starts writing in the sand and he's kind of ignoring them for a few seconds. And then he looks up and he says, let whatever man is sinless throw the first stone. Let ever, whatever man is sinless throw the first stone. Well, at that point, everyone but the woman walked away. Jesus asked the woman, where are the people that are condemning you? Has no one now condemned you? And she says, no, sir, to Jesus. And Jesus says, well, neither do I. You are free to go. Live a sinless life. Now, Jesus' teachings, his sacrifice, his resurrection freed us from a lot of the early laws that God sent through Moses and all the early people in the Bible. But the Ten Commandments still stand firm. And Jesus could have rebuked her. He could have reprimanded her. He could have had a lot more to say to this woman against her adulterous life. But instead, because of God's love and grace given through Jesus Christ, he said, you're forgiven. Go and live, sin no more. Our sins, those times we choose the enemy on our team, can be forgiven by God through the grace of Jesus Christ. These are two different people in very different circumstances who both found forgiveness. That same grace and forgiveness is available through, for me, for you, and for everybody that accepts Jesus as your Lord and Savior and repents to God.
Then there was Peter, one of the disciples. Peter is one of my favorite disciples. Many will remember Peter as the one who denied Jesus three times. In spite of telling Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go, when the time came and he was asked, Peter said, I'm not with him, I don't know him. But then the big thing for Peter was, after Jesus was resurrected, Peter was one of the first disciples that Jesus came to and said, I'm here, peace be with you. Many of us can relate to Peter's characteristics and learn a lot from him. For instance, Peter and John were in Jerusalem teaching in Jesus in a, about Jesus in a temple when Jesus, religious, oh. he was, they were teaching in a temple when religious leaders came in and arrested them. The next day, the council of all the religious rulers, the elders, the teachers of religious law got together and held a trial to hear their case. Keep in mind that at that time, a lot of the religious leaders didn't know about the resurrection or didn't believe in the resurrection. So they brought Peter and John before them. And Peter, led by the Holy Spirit, said to them, the stone that you builders have rejected is now the cornerstone. Well, if you don't know, when they're building a building, the cornerstone is where they start the foundation. It is the root of the foundation of a building. And the cornerstone that Peter's talking about is Jesus. Jesus is the cornerstone of our religion. After Peter giving a whole teaching to them, in Acts 4.13, it says, The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. For they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. So Peter and John were right there in front of them, and they noticed that they, they were just ordinary people. Ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. It's ordinary men and ordinary women, ordinary people all around us that have no special training in the scriptures. I'm going to tell you right now, I am an ordinary man. My special training in the scriptures is just what I learned on my own and through my Christian brothers and sisters by reading the Bible, living in the word, sharing my life with others. I have no special training. I have no higher education in scripture or in the Bible and religion. But I do have God in my heart. At one point, Peter had a response to a request from Jesus, but then he followed what Jesus asked anyways. When Jesus was on the shore of the Sea of Galilee teaching, he looked over and saw the empty fishing boats. And as we know, several of the disciples were fishermen. And so Jesus got near Peter's boat and told him to push off and go over there in the deeper water. Peter responded in Luke 5, 5, and he says, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. Now you would think that Peter, who was so devoted to Jesus, would just have hopped in the boat, rode out to where he had to go and thrown the nets over. But he had to throw in that little jab for him. You know, Jesus, we've been working all night. We're tired. I'm hungry. I want to go home. There's no fish in that water. We don't always do what Jesus is telling us or God is telling us to do on the first try. We sometimes have some resistance. We sometimes have some pushback. We sometimes just have to get our point of view across. Now, come on. Who has not been there? Really, God, you want me to go where? 
but, but, but God, I can't love him. He'll never love me back. You really want me to throw the nets out again? I've been fishing all night. I'm tired. Some of the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law, that you were nowhere really educated, smart religious leaders, were asking Jesus why his disciples were breaking the traditional rules. Why are they not ceremonially washing their hands before they eat? So Jesus responds with a parable, and the parable from Matthew 15.10 is, Jesus called the crowd to him and he said, Listen and understand, what goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but comes, what comes out of their mouth is what defiles them. Well, Peter didn't quite understand that, so Peter was the one who asked for an explanation. In Matthew 15, 17 through 20, it says, Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then comes out of the body? But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart and defiles them. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, and slander. These are what defile a person. By, but eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. Jesus is telling the Pharisees, the teachers, and all the people listening, it's not what you put in your mouth that makes you bad. It's not what you put in your mouth that defiles you, that makes you unclean. It's what comes out of your mouth. The only thing that should come out of our heart is love. And the only thing that should come out of our mouths is words that will build the people around us up. Lori's always telling me that it's not what I say, but how I say it. And I agree. It took me a long time to figure that out, but I agree with her. Because using the most loving words in the wrong way can do as much harm as good, or more harm than good. I'm working very hard on my delivery. I'm trying to think a little more before I speak. Unfortunately, my mind races faster than my mouth sometimes. And it is a work in progress. And it's difficult. It's difficult to speak in love all the time. Peter showed amazing faith and devotion to Jesus. In John 21, 18 to 19, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, when you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted to go. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to let him know by what kind of death he would glorify God. And then Jesus said, follow me. When you were young, you went and did what you wanted to do. You dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted to go. But when you're old, they will stretch out your hands. They will dress you. And they will take you where you don't want to go. Jesus was telling Peter by what means he was going to die. That he was going to be sacrificed because of his belief for Jesus Christ. That he was going to be hung on a cross like Jesus Christ was. Well, tradition has it that Peter was crucified on a cross. But he was crucified upside down because he did not feel that he met the criteria to die the same way that Jesus did. 
but he was crucified. But that last statement that Jesus makes to him is, follow me. You may be uncertain or feel fearful about your future, but you must know that God is in control. God is with us, and we can confidently follow Jesus Christ on our path through life. In Mark 14, 29, Peter said to Jesus, even if everyone else deserts you, I never will. Peter was asked three times by people if they knew him or was with Jesus, and he said no. He said, I was not with him. When Jesus was at his worst time, set to be crucified, being tortured, Peter turned his back on him and said, I don't know him. It was later on when Jesus came back that Jesus asked Peter three times, do you love me? And all three times, Peter said, yes, Jesus, I love you. And Jesus said, well, feed my sheep. Those three times that Jesus asked Peter if he loved him was Jesus telling Peter, I forgive you that you walked away from me, that you deserted me, that you left me. Peter was a part of Jesus' inner circle. He was the one that saw many of the first miracles that Jesus did. And he was the one that Jesus came back to first. Jesus forgave Peter for his denial at the worst time in Jesus' life. So where is this all going? It's who am I? My life started really well. I grew up in a Catholic church. I went to Catholic religious classes. I knew Jesus was my Lord and Savior at a very young age. Can you imagine this little boy riding his bicycle down the street? And on the back of the bicycle, there's two big metal baskets. Now, some of you young people don't know, you know the big metal baskets on the bike. But you have one on each side, like saddlebags on a Harley Davidson. In one bag, in one, one bag was my boots and a garden hose. And the other one was a raincoat and a plastic fire helmet. And I was screaming down the street, my wailing siren headed to the Roberts house because it was on fire. So I would pull into the driveway and I'd hook my hose up to the spigot on the side of the house and I'd spray the side of the house, sometimes with open windows, and put out the pretend fire. I was going to be the one that was going to help people and save people. And then my life took a little turn. I turned my life away from Jesus and started teaming up with the enemy. I chose Satan to be on my team. I was a 16-year-old going to the Chicago market, buying the beer for the boys in the neighborhood. It was easy then because drinking age was 18. I was six foot three and I looked plenty old enough. Then we would meet the boys behind the Presbyterian church and we'd drink as much beer as we could or whatever we had to drink and then go on our way. Yeah, I was the, the little Christian boy that went to the Presbyterian church. The pastor was pretty nice, so he put a trash can out there for the empties. As a college student at Mohawk Valley Community College, my best attendance record was in the pub. I look at it now and can't figure out why you put a beer palace in a college. But there was a pub in MVCC. My grade point average was about the same as my blood alcohol level. If you don't know how that works, blood alcohol level is measured in very small fractions. 0.08% is driving while intoxicated. That was close to my grade point average. 
My team could have been called the Devils. We could have had a really cool-looking mascot. As a young adult, I drank, smoked, and gambled every dollar I had, with the exception of my monthly car payment and enough gas money to get me around. Me and beer, we were best friends. I was also one of the most competitive people you ever wanted to know. I was a very sore loser, and I was a worse winner. Some of that still holds on. I still get uh, the evil eye. I try really hard, but I'm still pretty competitive. So my scoreboard read pride, one, humility, zero. When I was drinking, I could be a very difficult person to be around. I didn't like comments about my height. I didn't like comments about the way I dressed. And I certainly had an answer for it. I was living on the wrong side of righteousness, and I was all out team enemy. So what brought me out of that, what brought me out of myself, what brought me out of the life that I was leading, it was spending time with the Lord. I was led back to Jesus. It was learning more about the Holy Spirit that was residing in me. It was getting back into a relationship with my Lord and Savior that I knew before. When I finally came to realize that my plans were not so good, my directions were in the wrong way, and my paths were leading me down some real troublesome ways, and I was harming the people that were around me, I came back to Jesus. I am not always successful at following him. It's been a long struggle in my life, but I try as hard as I can to follow that path. I thank God every day for my family, especially my wife Lori, because she stood by me. She loved me and she forgave me the same that God does. We went through some tough struggles and she stayed right there. Without the love and support and forgiveness of my family, my church family, the brothers and sisters in Christ around me that helped me on the right path, I would still be working with the enemy. I know that I'm still a work in progress, but I know the impact I'm having on lives. My grandchildren were on vacation this week in Myrtle Beach. My grandson cho chose a hat for me. It says, don't quit. D-O and I-T are highlighted, says, do it. On the side of the hat, it says, pray and never give up. And on the back, it says, Luke 18.1, which is the persistent widow. Thank you, Brody. The enemy strives to steal, kill, and destroy us. He'll take us down to our deepest depths. He will break us and destroy us. But we can break that cycle by being in God's word, by reading the Bible, by doing daily devotionals to strengthen our resolve to follow Jesus, by allowing the Lord to lead our lives down the best path, even if we don't want to go there. You can make that comment, oh God, I really don't want to go there, but follow it. It's the right way to go. Relying on the support of brothers and sisters in Christ to help you and to guide you. They're as vulnerable as you are. We're going to bless each other. We serve a loving Father who sent his one and only Son to die for us so that we could live eternally. Jesus lived a sinless life to help us. Like those in the Bible that have sinned, they didn't live the most holy lives. They didn't always follow what God said, but they were forgiven. And we can also be forgiven. 
God not only forgives our sins, he forgets them. If all those stories that I just told you leave you in doubt, if you think you've been too sinful, you've been too wrong, you're too evil, that God will never accept me, and God will never grant me his grace and forgiveness. I give you the story of the criminal that was on the cross next to Jesus. Now there's three of them on the cross, two criminals and Jesus. And when people are going by, they're mocking Jesus, saying, hey, if you're the Messiah, get yourself down. Why do you hang there if you're the Messiah? You should be stronger than that. In Luke 23, 40 to 43, it says, but the other criminal protested. The criminal on one side is joining the crowd that's just jeering at Jesus. And the other criminal says, don't you fear God even when you have been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into the kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you today, you will be in paradise with me. This is the last moments of this man's life. And he says, I accept you, Jesus. I believe you, Jesus. I believe in you. Take me with you. And Jesus says, you will be in paradise with me. And then there's Paul. We all know the story of Paul. He was the one that was chasing down Christians, crucifying Christians, condemning Christians, putting them, sentencing them to prison. And yet one day he's on the road and a bright light comes and blinds him. And Jesus says, Paul, why are you doing this to me? And Paul says, I, I don't know, I don't know. And he becomes blinded. Jesus sends him into the city and says, tells him to go there and wait for instructions. Then Jesus sends Ananias to Paul. And in Acts 9.15, when, when Jesus is sending Ananias, he says, I'm sorry, I skipped one, John. Go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to the kings as well as to the people of Israel. Paul, Saul, is chosen by Jesus to be his instrument to take his message. And Paul follows. How well did he follow? He traveled country after country after country, city to city, proclaiming the word of Jesus. Proclaiming God's word to everybody. He wrote 13 or 14 books of the Bible. A better part of the New Testament. And he was killed for his beliefs and his teachings of Jesus Christ. What have you done wrong in your life? I shared some of mine. But what are you living with that you need forgiveness from? What are you living with that you must forgive? We all have our own stories and our own histories. We do have a lot in common, though. Nothing we have done is too difficult for God to forgive. Nothing is too difficult for God to forgive. Jesus suffered and died so we could be forgiven. There's no condemnation. If you believe that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, Jesus takes those sins away from you. But we aren't supposed to do this alone. Before Jesus died, he said he would send another to help us. John 14, 16 says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you, 
and be with you forever. Jesus gave us the Holy Spirit. God gave us the Holy Spirit in our hearts, in our bodies, in our souls to be with us, to dwell in us, to lead us and to guide us. And in many places the Bible says we need to stand together. We need to unify as Christians to help each other along. Ecclesiastes 4.12 says, Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. The stronger we weave together, the stronger we become. The easier it is to push Satan off our team. On top of all the promises of eternal life and forgiveness through Jesus Christ, we go back to Jeremiah 29.11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. It's plans to prosper you and not harm you, to give you future and hope. We need to stick to those plans. God puts people in our places to help us with those plans. He puts us in the places we want to be. You might have come here to church this morning thinking this is where you wanted to be. And if you look around, everybody else came here thinking that's where they wanted to be. But more likely, we are all here because this is where God wanted us to be. And he wanted us to be together, to share together, to live together, to love together. If you are not connected to one of the ministries here at Resurrection Life Church, I heartfully ask you to please join one. You can join the greeting ministry, the ushers, res kids, quest, the multimedia team, the parking lot team, the journey recovery team. Join one of the teams because it connects you with people who will love you and support you through whatever you're going through or whatever you've been through. If you're not attending a life care group, you are really missing out. Life care is small group meetings that meet on Wednesday evenings that connects brothers and sisters in Christ together. In life care, we pray together. We discuss some of the Sunday message together. We support each other and we help each other do life. Remember, life is a difficult journey. Jesus said it's not going to be easy. And we help each other with that. When I was preparing this message, I saw a news article on the people in the Ukraine. In one of the cities in the Ukraine that the Russians were moving into, the citizens come out in the street to protest. The citizens were unarmed. They were just protesting the Russians and telling them they should leave. They weren't fighting with them. They might have been arguing with them, but they just wanted them gone. In spite of the Russians firing guns over their head, throwing concu concussion grenades at them that made loud noises, the people stood their ground. They told the Russians to leave our city. Eventually, when the Russians realized that there was no soldiers shooting back at them, it was nothing but people standing there and telling them to leave, they packed up and left. Why shouldn't we as Christians do the same? Why don't we stand together in unity against the enemy and drive them away? If enough of us stand together, we have enough strength to keep them out of our lives. We have the weapons to defeat the enemy. We have the Bible. We have prayer. We have connection with each other. We have God on our side. We all have histories and struggles. God has a plan to take care of it. Jesus took away your sins. Let's walk the path of righteousness together. Let's walk it in strength and in unity. It's never too late. Jesus took the criminal off the cross with him. He'll take you and me with him. As Jesus told the disciples, 
Come and follow me. Let's follow Jesus. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're hearing about Jesus' amazing sacrifice for you and are looking to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior today, we welcome you to the Christian family. And we'd like to pray with you. If you're a saved Christian, you know Jesus is your Lord and Savior, but this message spoke deep into your heart. We're going to pray together. And if you know Jesus is your Lord and Savior and things are going good for you, you can still repeat this prayer with us. So repeat after me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for the sacrifice. A sacrifice that took away our sins. We thank you that you are always with us. You are always protecting us. That you have a plan for us. A plan for good. A plan for a future. A plan for hope. Father, we honor you. We love you. We want to follow Jesus. We want to live like Jesus. We want to act like Jesus. We want to love like Jesus. Father, make us better disciples to everyone we come in contact with. Father, we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you've prayed this prayer for the first time, tell someone, let us know. Put a note in that pamphlet you were handed on the way in and take it to the Life Source Center out in the lobby. It is a great thing to be a part of this family. It's a strong family, it's a loving family, and we share God with each other. I want to pray over you before we leave, and I want to thank everyone for being here this morning. Father God, I thank you for all my brothers and sisters. I thank you that we weave a cord that cannot be broken, that we cannot be defeated because we are overcomers. Father, I thank you that everyone here is a part of this cord, is a part of this life, is a part of this journey that takes us away from the enemy and puts us on Team God. We team up with you, God, and we share your love, your grace, and your forgiveness. Father, bless everyone as they leave here that they are stronger, better, and more loving. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.